0: Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for his kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. We are all shaped by something. All of us are shaped by something. I teach in the schools, the high schools, junior highs around here every few months, and and I always tell students to spend a whole day talking about how we're influenced and shaped by things, and it's very true of you, just like it is of them. We are all shaped by something. And when I tell high schoolers that, high school freshmen, You are shaped by something. Something has influenced you. Something has put pressure on you and and impacted your life. They are young enough, naive enough, and arrogant enough that they always say, no, not me. Ah, not me. Nothing, nothing influences me. Maybe you think that too. When I say, you're shaped by something, you're like, not me. I'm my own man, my own woman, I'm my own thing. I do my own thing. No one shapes me. No one influences me. No one makes me do anything at all, which is a lie. We are all shaped by something. The clothes we wear, the fashion trends that you follow, the things that you talk about, the places that you go, the things you buy, the things you watch, they're all shaped by things. This is why marketing is a multi-billion dollar industry. We're all shaped by things. And the things in this world that want to shape us are not all healthy. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your your life might be shaped by Jesus. And the way you view people, you view yourself, you view the world around you is through the lens of Jesus. But the world has a lens also it wants to shape you with. It wants to shape you to see things as as though they are something to be feared, to be mistrusted, to, to to be avoided. We see things through the lens that shapes us. Your life is shaped by something. As we talk today in this series called Sorry about being a people of forgiveness who receive and give forgiveness, I want to encourage you that your life should be, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life should be shaped by forgiveness. I'm going to jump right here into Ephesians chapter 4. I'd love for you to turn and follow along with me. If you're in the room here and don't have a Bible, I want to give you a blue Bible just like this. If you're online and don't have a Bible, send a message or comment right now. We'll get you a Bible. We want you to have the Word of God so you can read what God has to say. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say about being a people who are shaped by forgiveness. He says, so i tell you this. And I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now let's remind ourselves real quick, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So you had the people of God, the Jews who were descended from Abraham, God's chosen people, his nation, his kingdom, that lived in Israel, they traveled through the wilderness, they'd left Egypt, they're the Israelites, the Jews, they're his people. And the Jews viewed everybody who was not a Jew as a Gentile. Everybody who's not like me is an other, a Gentile, somebody who's different, And the Gentiles live in a Gentile culture, a culture that does not know God, does not know the Lord, does not follow the Lord, does not know his ways, does not live in his kingdom. They live differently. So you have the Jews, and then you have the Gentiles who are different. They are outside of God's will, his character, his kingdom. And Paul writes here to the Ephesians in a city called Ephesus, and he says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking. Well, now, who were the Ephesians? They were Gentiles, all of them. The entire city, the entire culture, the people, they were all Gentiles. And Paul writes to them and says, This is what I tell you, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the culture around you lives. In the futility of their thinking. He's telling them that even though they live in a Gentile culture, even though they live in a, a, a culture that's unsaved, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know God, doesn't know the Ten Commandments, doesn't know the ways of the kingdom, even though you live in that culture, you must no longer be shaped by that culture. Paul says some other things in Romans chapter 1. I'll flip there. I'm going to read it to you here. Romans chapter 1, this is what Paul said. He said, For although they that's people who were Gentiles that are coming to know Jesus, for although they knew God, and a a better translation would be, for although they knew about God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds, animals, and reptiles. Paul, to boil it down, he says, that although they knew about God, they had heard about God, they had learned about God, they had been told about God, even though they had heard about this, they had exchanged the glory of God to live like the culture that was around them. They had taken, to to put it into simple terms, they had taken what God had given them, they had learned about God and his glory and his goodness and his changing, restoring power. They learned about it. And they looked around the culture around them, that Gentile, outside God's kingdom, unsaved, broken culture, and they said, I think I like that better. And they exchanged the glory of God to take up the brokenness of their culture. Their lives were shaped By sin and shame and brokenness. Instead of being shaped by the glory of God. We're all shaped by something. What are you shaped by? You live in a culture. You live in a Gentile, outside God's kingdom culture. A broken world, a broken culture. What shapes your life? Are you taking the glory of God? Or are you exchanging it for something that is broken and dark and futile? How are you living? I believe that it is 100% possible, completely possible, to live as though you are living like Jesus here in this culture. It's difficult to live like Jesus in a broken world. You have temptations and pulls and strains all around you, but it's absolutely possible. Why do I believe that? I believe it because Paul said these people knew about God, but they had exchanged it. Well, if I give it away, that means I could have kept it. I could have kept it. I could have lived as though I were living like God in a broken world. They gave it away. And Paul says to the Ephesians and to the Romans, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live like the broken world around you in the futility of your thinking. You must trade that to take the glory of God. This is what he says. He's going to go on to talk about how our lives are shaped. This is what he says here back in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They are separated by it. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The more that we are shaped by a culture of impurity and greed... The more we are shaped by that, the more callous and hardened and darkened and broken and shameful that we become. The more we live in a culture, and we are shaped by that culture of impurity and of greed. But if you are a follower of Jesus, your life is shaped by forgiveness. If you're a follower of Jesus, forgiveness shapes your life. You get to walk as a part of God's chosen people into a Gentile, unsaved, broken, lost culture, shining His glory all around you. That's what Paul's calling the Ephesians to. That's what Paul's calling you to. That's what the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of today. And Paul's going to keep writing, because he's got a lot more to expound on. Paul keeps saying this. He says, They, or he says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned, that impure, greedy kind of life. That's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, you have to trade something off to get something better. You have to release something bad to get something good. This is what Paul's talking about right here. We haven't just changed our minds as followers of Jesus. We didn't just change our minds. We have been fundamentally changed, altered at our core by the transforming power of Jesus. This is what happens. In John chapter 11... The Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus is on a journey. He's walking along with his followers, and he comes to the house of a man named Lazarus. Maybe you know this story. He comes to the home of a man named Lazarus, and he walks up to the home of a man named Lazarus, and as he's on his way, Lazarus, who is his friend, he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And then a a couple days later, he gets word that Lazarus has died. And he comes up to the home of his friend Lazarus, and at this point, Lazarus has been buried in a tomb, and the tomb has been sealed with a giant rock to seal the entrance to the tomb. And Jesus comes up to the home of this man named Lazarus. And Lazarus's two sisters are there, Mary and Martha, and Mary and Martha, they are, they are grieving, they are upset, they are a little bit angry that Jesus didn't come sooner, they are sad, they are broken with their grief, and they don't know what to do with themselves. And Jesus gets there, And he begins to say some crazy stuff, which Jesus was the king of crazy stuff. He begins to say things like, your brother's not dead. He's just asleep. My friend, Lazarus, he's not dead. He's just asleep. Let's go see him. And everybody said, well, Jesus, he's he's really, really dead. He's like, well, let's just go see him. Well, Jesus, you can't do that. Let's just go. And because Jesus lived so differently than everybody else around, they just said, Oh, okay. And Jesus begins to lead the way out from the house to go out to the tomb. And he walks along, and the crowd's following along. I don't think, see, I used to read this story, and I used to read it like like they all knew the ending that I know. And I used to read it like they're walking along, like, oh, we're going to see a miracle. That's not it. They're following Jesus, like, what the heck is he going to do? Are you going to tell him he's dead? Are you going to tell him he's dead? I don't know. I think he knows. I don't think. I don't know. They're following along, waiting to see what happens next. And they're walking out there. Jesus gets out to the tomb. He steps back. He looks at that tomb. He says, Roll the stone away, open the tomb. Well, Jesus, they said, you can't do that, man. By this point, there's going to be a bad odor, and there's a stench. Things are happening in there. You don't want to go in there. You can't do this, Jesus. And he says, no, I think we want to open the tomb. Jesus, you don't want to open. Trust me, you do not want to open that tomb. Yeah, I think I do. Open the tomb. So sure enough, eventually, uh, a guy goes up to the tomb, and he walks up, and I, I, I always picture he got to the tomb to the rock, and he, he puts his hands on the big stone to roll it away. And, and he, he starts, and he looks back one more time, maybe he's like, are you really sure? It's like, roll away the stone. So he, he rolls the stone, he rolls it away. And then he steps back. And everybody right now, they're watching Jesus. What is he doing? And Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And they all look at him like, ah. Uh, and they look back at the tomb, uh, Lazarus, come out. And then they look to the tomb and they see, they can't believe it, but they see Lazarus walking. Out of the tomb, dressed in the grave clothes. He's still wrapped in the linen cloth. They would have wrapped his limbs, his legs, his arms, his head. He's wrapped in these grave clothes. He's kind of dragging them behind him. And he's walking out of the tomb right here. And the people are, I think, because they're people like you and me, they are simultaneously amazed and a little freaked out. What is going on here? Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Walking out of the tomb. And he stands at the top of the tomb, and I, I, I don't know, I just wonder if Lazarus stood there kind of blinking. It's, it's really bright out here, and he's looking around, and then, then he comes toward Jesus a little closer, and he gets closer to Jesus, and I think the crowd probably kind of parted a little bit. Like, we're going to just let Jesus handle this one. And he gets up to Jesus, and Jesus does not say, Lazarus, have a good day. He doesn't say, Lazarus, go on home, man. He doesn't say, Lazarus, can you go to the Walmart, pick something up for him, man? It's okay. Just go about your way. It's going to be all right. He doesn't say that at all. He says to the people around, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because Lazarus isn't dead anymore. He doesn't need grave clothes shaped around his body anymore. Lazarus come out and he comes out and he sh- he's shaped in the, the middle of his grave clothes. He's, he's wrapped in these. He's pulling them with him and everything about his appearance looks like a man who's dead. He's walking but he looks like he ought to be dead. And he says take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so they take the grave clothes off him and Lazarus walks away. And when Lazarus walks away that day, when Lazarus walks away in this moment right here, he doesn't look dead. There's nothing about him that looks dead anymore take off the grave clothes, and let him go. See, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, uh, let me let me go back and, and read it again to you. When Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and, and he says back here to them, he says, that's not the way of life you learned. We heard about Christ. He says, you were taught to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Uh, let's paraphrase that. Take off your old self, which is being shaped with sin and shame that looks like death. It's not what God intended for you. Put off the old, take off the grave clothes to be made new in your minds. To put on the new self. You see, here's, here's the thing. When, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's just like the moment that Jesus stands at the tomb in John chapter 11. And he's talking to the Ephesian people who have heard about Jesus. They've met Jesus. They've learned about Jesus. They've been transformed by Jesus. They might have been baptized into Jesus. They've been forgiven by Jesus. And he's looking at them, and he's saying, Ephesians, church, come out. Come out. Take off the grave clothes. Stop being shaped by sin and by shame and by death. Take it off and go. Paul, to the Ephesian church, take off the sin that has been shaping your life and go like a new person that's been transformed by me. That's Paul's challenge, his hope for the church in Ephesus. And that's his hope for the church today, the one you're a part of right now. That's his hope for us. And Paul keeps writing. we got to keep going. We're, We're running out of time here. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and must speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Therefore, we must put off falsehood. Did you know that lying has the power to shape your life. Lying has the power to shape your life. Uh, Just like Lazarus that's in the tomb, he is shaped by the grave clothes. Lying has the power to shape your life. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, the, the early church, is the church is growing from 12 apostles to thousands of people. It's growing overnight, very quickly, every day. And the church is enlarging and they're seeing the kingdom come and God's will be done in people's lives. And people are going and they're selling their property. And they're coming and giving the money to the, the apostles, to the church, to be used for the kingdom. And there's a husband and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And they really want to be a part of that. They want in on that. You know, they, they also kind of want to keep their money, but they want everybody to think that they, they're like a part of that. So they go, they sell their property, and they take all the money, and they take, they take a little bit, I don't know, 20% of it, maybe, I don't know, and they put it in their back pocket. They take the rest of it, and they come to the apostles. They lay at the feet of the apostles. Ananias does, the husband does. And he says, Peter, this is everything we sold the property for. It's all the money. It's all right here. Look at us. Look how great I am. It's a lie. He's got something in his back pocket. Now, was it a sin that he kept some of the money? I don't think so, because Peter says, Ananias, it was yours before he sold it, wasn't it? The sin was not in the keeping. The sin was in the lying. Lying has the power to shape your life. And because of this lie, it says that Ananias was struck dead. Now, a little while later, his wife Sapphira, who didn't know what had happened, she didn't see it happen, she comes in, and Peter says, Hey, when you sold your property, was this all the money? And she's like, Oh, yeah dead lying has the power to shape your life and paul doesn't want that he says put off all falsehood come out take it off and go be new he doesn't want you to live that way paul then says he says in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Did you know that anger has the power to shape your life? Anger has the power to shape your life. Anger is an emotional response to something that displeased you. Now, I believe it is possible to be angry without sinning. I do believe that. I think it's really really uh, not that you know common. Most of the time that I sin, most of the time that you sin, It's not because I'm a a righteous, holy, godly anger. It's because my wife annoyed me. She's always right, but she annoys me. Or it's because you annoyed me. Or I didn't get my way. Or I missed out on something. Or something didn't work that I wanted to work, or I got embarrassed. Most of the time when I get angry, it's not because it's righteous and holy and good. It's because I didn't get my way, and it's out of selfishness. And pride. The same is true for you. Anger has the power to shape your life. If you are a person that gets angry one day, your friends will shake that off. Your family will too. And if you get angry the next day, they'll shake it off maybe. And the next day, but eventually, if enough days go by in a row of you getting angry, then the people around you, they will begin to label you in their mind as the angry person. It will shape your life. It will shape your reputation. It will shape your character. That's what it is. Now, if people around you have never told you you're the angry person in the crowd, but you know you get angry all the time, you can rest assured they think of you as the angry person. It shapes your life. And Paul doesn't want it. He says, don't let it happen. Take it off and go be new. Paul says, he says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need stealing has the power to shape your life it's all part of the tricks that the enemy has he he wants to shape you with stealing now you don't have to be stealing money you're like i would never shoplift i'm not a stealer well we don't just steal that we steal ideas we steal relationships we steal time we steal people we steal thoughts Stealing has the power to shape your life. In fact, you go to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, you get the Ten Commandments, and one of the Ten Commandments is devoted to this. You shall not steal. Period. It can't be more clear than that. God does not want you to steal. Why? Because stealing will shape your life, and it will ruin the character God wants you to live with. And when you steal, you are exchanging the glory of God. It takes something that's less and broken. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus talks and he says, the thief, that's Satan, the enemy, the devil, the thief came to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. You know, he didn't just come to kill and destroy. I always think of it like that. That's the part I emphasize all the time. Well, Satan wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to put us in hell forever so we can't live in heaven forever. But Jesus starts actually by saying he came to steal. Kill and destroy. When we let stealing shape our lives, then we are emulating the enemy, the fallen one, Satan, the thief. We are emulating him. We're not living like Jesus. When stealing shapes your life. Paul says, take it off and be something new. He keeps going, though. There's other things he's going to talk about. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, for, that it may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk, Paul says. I would paraphrase this. Obscenities, uh, uh, coarse joking, rude speaking, bitter words, hurtful words, hateful speech, all these things, unwholesome talk, has the power to shape your life. It will shape who you are. I believe that when we follow Jesus, our words should change because Jesus transforms our heart. I believe it. I used to get offended if I would go somewhere and I'd be around somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, and they would use obscenities or say some jokes that I found obscene, or I would get offended. I would get offended easily. I'd be like I can't believe you'd say that to me. I can't believe. It. Do you know on the pastor? I can't believe it. I don't know what's going on. And then I realized one day, why should I ever? expect that someone who doesn't follow Jesus would talk like someone who does. I should expect that people who don't follow Jesus are going to talk like people who don't follow Jesus. And the only reason, the only way they will ever begin to follow Jesus is if I can return forgiveness instead of offense. Unwholesome talk has the power to shape our lives. If we are rude and obscene and crass and crude and all those things, That's what we're known as. And Paul says you shouldn't be. Paul keeps writing. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't let your life bring grief to God, but joy. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, of all rage, of all anger, of all brawling and slander, along with every form of malice All this bitterness and rage and fighting, this will shape your life as well. I was told a story a while back of an an older couple that came to a pastor to get married, and they were late in life, and they came and they said, we'd like to get married. And he looks at them and says, okay, well, tell me a little bit about yourselves. I want to know, how did you meet? And and the guy says, the husband, the 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 husband-to-be says, well, we were actually married 40 years ago. He says, "Whoa!" so you want to rededicate vows? What's going on? He says, no, no, we were married 40 years ago, but we got divorced 35 years ago. So why would you get divorced? He said, we don't know. One, something made us mad one day. And he said, I guess we were just too proud to say we were sorry. And it just kept building and building and building and building until we just got divorced. And we've now realized, 35 years later, that bitterness has robbed us of so many joys in life. And now we're here with you just hoping that God will restore some joy to our life in the years we have left. Bitterness has the power to shape your life and to restore, to steal and take away all the joys that are in your life. That is what Satan wants for you. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. But Paul says, come out. Take it off and be new. And then Paul's going to finish with one sentence to tell you what a life shaped by forgiveness looks like. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, He leads with that, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus, who came from heaven to earth, and he hung on the cross, and when he looked out at the people that had nailed him there, that were actively mocking him, that were actively rejecting him, he looked at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the life we live like. When we are shaped by forgiveness, we live in a shameful, Gentile, broken, far-from-God culture with our lives shaped by forgiveness being kind and being compassionate offering forgiveness to everybody when they hurt us, forgive them do they deserve it? no but I need to offer it because my life is shaped by forgiveness when they are rude to us, forgive them they don't know what they're doing when when they're, when they're angry towards forgive them we live lives that are shaped by fueled by and exude forgiveness to everybody around us when we follow Jesus That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Not living as the Gentiles do. But living as a follower of Jesus. John chapter 11. Jesus stood at the gate of a tomb. And he says, come out. Come out. And a man came out with a body that was shaped by death. And if it weren't for Jesus intervening in that moment, that's what his story would be forever. But Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This morning, Jesus stands at a tomb. And he says to you, and to everybody else who has ever been buried in the consequence of death and sin and shame, he says, come out. And some of us in this room, some of us online, some of us right now in this place, some of us are shaped right here by stealing and by lying and by anger and bitterness and wholesome talk and grudges and apathy and greed and pride. We're shaped by all these things. And Jesus says, come out. Take off the clothes of death and put on forgiveness. And if it weren't for Jesus intervening in this moment right here, then the story of shame and death would be your story forever. But Jesus went to the cross. He resurrected out of the tomb so you could have a different story. So church this morning, Come out. Come out. Take off the grave clothes and let forgiveness shape your life. If you never followed Jesus, And today I want to invite you to do so. The way we follow Jesus here at this church, we're baptized into water. We're going to the water, and when we're in the water, we are forgiven of all of our past. The stealing, the lying, the bitterness, the unwholesome talk, the rage, the grudges. We're forgiven of our past. And we come out of the water full of the Holy Spirit, taking off the grave clothes, putting on the glory of God and all of his forgiveness, and we walk out of the water to walk in step with the Holy Spirit to serve him well. Today, if you've not followed Jesus, today can be the day that you do. We already have two baptisms planned for the 11 o'clock service later on, and I believe there are more that need to follow Jesus and need to re-follow Jesus. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you say, I just need to take a public step following him again. Maybe that's you. If that's where you're at today, then in just a while, I'm going to invite you to go to the next steps table in the lobby, when we sing in a minute, and just talk out there and pray. And take a next step of faith. And for all the rest of us that have been following Jesus, today I challenge you in the words of Paul, I insist on it in the Lord, that you not live in the futility of the dark thinking of the Gentile world, but you take it off. Put away the old self, put on the new self, and reflect the glory of God in all of his forgiveness. Let me pray for you today. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everything you've done for us, everything you want to do in us. And I pray, Father, that we would live as a people who are forgiven and who are forgiving. I pray we would reflect your glory, that we would carry it, wear it, and exude it to everybody around us. Father, people would look at us and they would see you. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the strength to take off the grave clothes and then the wisdom and the clarity to help others take off the grave clothes so we could live as new people, alive people, alive in you, having life to the full. Father, I ask that you would change us, transform us, and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at kenan at cccj.church, and I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.